Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. This is episode 76 with a connoisseur of horror, Lucas Mangum, as our guest. Hey, that's coming up in just a moment, so stay tuned. As I said, this is the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Each week, our goal is to introduce you to a new favorite, or two, or three, or ten new authors. And with 76 episodes now available for your listening ears, you are guaranteed to find something that you like. So when you do, please share that episode with friends, so that way they can hear the episode, they can meet this author, and doubly please so please please make sure you leave a book review after you've read that book i know the authors are going to love it and it goes to show just how much you enjoyed the book as well not a whole lot to share for me this week Um, i have been writing every day last week but mostly it's just been writing on my new story i've been writing every morning putting in some words, which is a good thing, but making time for meaningful edits in the evening. Um, edits on my my current work, that one's been lacking. So, yeah. So if you see me slacking off, hanging around on Twitter or Facebook, and I'm commenting on things or doing other stuff, feel free to call me out like, uh, like, like my friend William did. Previous guest, William Schlichter, who's also in my writing group, Make sure, you know, he called me out a couple days ago, letting me know that I should be writing. <laughs> so if you see me goofing off, then feel free to uh, call me out and tell me to get back to work. <laughs> you know, at the same time, though, we do have a lot of excitement on the horizon with the show. Lots of great new episodes coming soon that you really don't want to miss out on. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out every week. But, you know... The good thing about having not a lot of news is that that means we can get right over to thanking our sponsors. First up is the one that's been with us all along, U-Store-All, self-storage out of Warrensburg, Missouri. If you are in need of self-storage, you need to store some things away for any length of time, look no further than U-Store-All. With two facilities, fully fenced in, private gate codes, well lit all night long, and... 70 cameras recording 24 hours a day, you will not find a safer place. And not only all of that, but their facilities are energized through solar power, so it's a green company. They are the best you could ask for anywhere in the Warrensburg area. So make sure you check them out online at ustoral.net. That is the letter U, S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. As always, I want to give a big shout out to my favorite writing software, Scrivener. Now, you're going to hear an ad for them here in a moment, but still, you know, every week I just want to take a moment and talk about how much I love this thing. Now, I I usually talk about how I have both the app on my phone and the desktop version, which is downloaded on my desktop and my laptop. Now, Although that is really cool, maybe not everybody can do that. Maybe you've just got the desktop version, which is fine. That's what I worked on for a long, long time before I got the app. And, you know, there's just so much you can do. I mean, from jumping from chapter to chapter, there's, you know, there's no more of this scrolling and looking 
for, oh man, where did I leave off? Or wait a minute, where was that name of that character I was trying to, that I wrote back in chapter two, and now I'm on 14. You know, it's, the chapters are broken up. It's easy to find them. It's easy to shift them around when you're editing. You know, say a chapter doesn't work any longer. Just grab that whole chapter, move it over. It's drag and drop. It's so awesome. I love it. You're going to love it too. So stay tuned for that advertisement for Scrivener and listen up for that special coupon code to save yourself 20%. Hey, I also want you to make sure to head on over to popgoestheculture.com. They are some big friends of the show and uh, I tune in every week for a couple of their shows that they've got. Uh, they have countless number of them from the uh, the flagship Pop Goes the Culture podcast. There's also the Alamo Backlot, which is a really fun one. There's the Back in Time uh, movie podcast. Just so many different shows. Those are just a couple of the ones that I listen to every week. And if you go over to the website, you're going to see not only those, but also a bunch of articles and other pop culture related information. You are bound to find something cool. And you know what? They also like, they also share our episodes every week. So make sure you check them out. Popgoestheculture.com. Well, for the second week in a row, we have a Texas author. (laughs) Now, I don't think anybody anywhere is going to confuse Lucas Mangum for last week's guest, Kelly Mac McCoy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, they are both still extremely talented. And I tell you what, Lucas is, he, he's a very fun guy. He's also a little bit twisted, as you're going to see. <laughs> but it's, it's he's twisted in a fun way. Yeah, he's got some amazing books. And uh, we're talking about some of his newest ones. We had a lot of laughs while covering his, his influences. Lucas also gives some really great tips and encouragement for first-time writers. You can also catch Lucas on his podcast, which is The Mangum Show. Uh, It's a lot of fun uh, where authors are getting together to talk about their favorite movie of the week that they're talking about. And yeah, it's a really cool thing. And you know, it's possible that uh, coming up you could recognize a name on the the show. I don't know. It's possible. How about I stop goofing around and get us on over to our interview with Lucas Mangum right after a word from our sponsor. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this week I'm going to have a lot of fun talking with a new friend of mine. He's cranky, but cultured. He's horror author Lucas Mangum. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure, buddy. Hey, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I, so I live in Austin, Texas with my family. 
I am uh, I'm a big fan of reading. I read everything from the highbrow to the lowbrow. Uh, my most recent uh, book, um, Saint Sadist, I've described it as kind of a mix between Paradise Lost and I Spit on Your Grave. So that kind of gives you an idea of what to expect. Um, yeah, I also am the host of uh, The Mangum Show, which is a podcast in which genre fiction authors talk about genre cinema. And um, I have a ton of bonus content on my Patreon, so if you really, really like me, uh, you can uh, throw me a few bucks a month and uh, you can get a bunch of extra shit. Uh, that's over at uh, patreon.com slash lmangumfiction. And I probably should have asked if uh, I can curse on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, we've got the explicit tag. So that way, because okay. uh, yeah, sometimes the chapters get a little get a little crazy. So yeah. you you don't know anything about that. I know you've got all these incredibly clean books on here that I was reading about earlier. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, sometimes sometimes people curse. It's okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I so we were talking before the show. I mean, just just this year alone. You've already put out three books. I mean, you've been rocking them out, man. And that's uh, that's only under my own name. I, uh, I I also put out a romance under the name Jamie St. John uh, called All I Need. So I guess I've had four books come out this oh year. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Cat's out of the bag. Now, is that like a, a big secret or is that like you, – You, you know, I've been time? telling – it's a, it's kind of a one-way uh, secret. Like, I mean, I'm telling people who are uh, fans of, uh, of me, um, you know, uh, proper – um, but if any, uh, but I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to let any fans of her, uh, know about me, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I understand that. It's one of those things that's crossed my mind before. Uh, I, I wrote a romance once about my wife and I, and I just like had it printed for just us. And yeah, uh, yeah I thought about that and, and, uh, I kind of joke, my wife likes to tease me. She goes, that'll probably sell better than anything else you, you do. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, too early to tell yet, but we'll see. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, prior to this, I'm seeing 10 books at least going back to 2012. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a few, um, anthologies. I mean, that I guess, I guess if you count those, it would probably, uh, add up to about 10, but I guess, uh, novels proper, there's been about, um, there's been seven if you count the, uh, the romance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if if I get to the point where I'm putting my name in a book with Jonathan Mayberry, I'm going <laughs> to count that. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, tell us about uh, like like your first one this year or yeah, that came out earlier this year. Engines of Ruin. This was this was like a really, really cool one because I've been hearing about this a lot. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so Engines of Ruin is my um, collection of short stories. It's got um, stuff uh, from, I guess, from uh, 2011 um, up until last year. So I guess like seven years worth of worth of material. Um, and the stories range from weird horror to extreme horror to psychological horror. Um, then there's some like kind of twilight zone sort of stories. And, uh, there's some straight up crime fiction. There's even a, um, there's even a regular traditional murder mystery where it's just, you know, procedural solving of a murder basically. <laughs> um, although I, I like to think I did something interesting with the characters, you know, um, that, uh, you can't find other, you know, elsewhere. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I originally published it in 2017. Um, and, uh, but then I, I was in contact with, um, Thunderstorm books and they wanted to do a, a, a limited hardcover of it. So I, 
I unpublished it and gave it to them, and they did a limited hardcover in the summer of 2018. And after that, I didn't really want to like uh, self-publish it again because I was like, I was like, I don't know, that can be a lot of work, you know, just uh, the marketing side of it can just be a lot oh, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I ended up, uh, you know, uh, contacting Crossroad Press. It was actually uh, suggested to me by Brian Keane. He was like, he said, uh, you know, Crossroad Press would probably be a good, good place to reprint it. And so when I reached out to them, they said, yeah, that's great. But, um, you know, uh, we want to give them something new. So, you know, maybe add a few more stories. And so I, I ended up writing like three new stories and finding um, a few other stories that I that I had like um, com- uh, some of them I had completely forgotten about that I didn't include the first time around. And so it's um, there's something like five brand new stories that um, that weren't in the um, either the Thunderstorm edition or the. Uh, the originally uh, independently published edition. Hmm. Okay, well that's that's still pretty awesome though. I mean, and and, and the new content. yeah, lots of new content, um, a new preface, and new authors' notes, and all that kind of fun stuff as well. So outstanding. Yeah. Well, now, and you were talking about that you you like to read a lot, and then you got all these different stories coming together in this one. So, do you find that with all the things that you read, that that helps inform your writing? Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, I think um, I kind of have the philosophy of like, okay, so I don't I don't just read one type of thing. So I don't really want to restrict myself to writing one type of thing. You know, Um, I think it would certainly be boring for me, but I also kind of feel like it might be boring for my readers. I mean, it tends to I mean, I think, uh, you know, since I've kind of right out the gate been releasing stuff that is just, um, you know, or at least I like to think, um, you know, different from uh, the book before it's. I think uh, my readers kind of have learned to expect, okay, well, the next book's going to be like something completely <laughs> different. <laughs> well, that's that, that's awesome. That whenever you're planning out your stories, are, are they stories that uh, tend to just kind of come to you in a flash? Or do you, uh, is it something that maybe you've had an idea about for a long time? Um, definitely a little of both. I, I just finished a, um, a short, oh, I guess it's a, it's a long short story because it's 10,000 words, but, um, it's, uh, and that was something that I had been thinking about for about a year. Um, but then there are those times where I just like get this idea and I'm just like, and it comes to me kind of fully formed. So like I can write it right away, but then, yeah, other times I kind of have to like let it marinate and, and I'm just not comfortable enough to write it yet. Cause I, I'm just, I'm so blind to where it's going. Like, I'm like, if I, if I commit it to paper, I'm going to get lost. So, so I need to like, kind of, I need to kind of, you know, think about yeah. it a little bit. So, so you don't plot them out then you like to just sit down and see where they go. Um, you know, it depends on the project for me. Um, I think, uh, I fall somewhere in the middle. Like I will, uh, I mean, I'll, you know, once I've kind of worked out some of the, I at least like to know the big, um, turning point moments, you know, like, like, you know, kind of like what happens in like the, you know, like, I guess in Hollywood, they call it the midpoint reversal, (laughs) you know, whatever, but, (laughs) but, uh, you know, there's, I try to think about like, you know, like the big moments where things change and I try to think about the ending. And then that way I have like kind of, uh, milestones that I want to, um, you know, reach. Right. So it's like kind of like running a marathon or running a race or, or playing a video game even, right. Where you're kind of like trying to clear these levels. Oh yeah. 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 No, that, and that makes a lot of sense. I think there's, there's a lot of writers that even if you're just completely winging it, but you still, you know, a lot, we still have an idea in our head of where, where we're going to go with Mm -hmm. it, what we're going to do. But I think, uh, 
kind of like what you were saying, just having that uh, openness to see where it's going to go, though, as well, helps out a lot. For sure. Like, yeah, like I think if I outline um, too much, like I, I get I get it. I work it up in my head that like I've kind of like, OK, well, I already finished it. So like, why do I need to? Yeah. To it? <laughs> yeah. 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 I sat down uh, when our first daughter was being born back in the 90s. Uh, my wife and I sat down the day before and we mapped out what was going to be my first novel at the time. And it was a werewolf story. And we had the whole thing planned out. Uh, that's like all I've ever done on, on that story. I've got, I've got it in a notebook sitting here somewhere in the office. I don't know where it is right now. It's still in my head, but yeah, that's been 20. Yeah. Some... When was the last time you looked at it? Oh man. I think I pulled it out about 10 years ago. I came, I came across it. Well, okay. I, I guess, I guess since we moved. I looked at it and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to write a werewolf story. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually working on one right now. Um, (laughs) I wish I could say more about it, but it's, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to, uh, trying to kind of keep it under wraps for now. But, um, (laughs) but um, the reason I asked about, you know, looking at it again was like, I, um, you know, sometimes like, I, like, you'll, like I'll, I'll, I'll look at something I was working on that I thought wasn't good. And then like, I'll like, you know, like look at it years later and be like, Hey, you know what? I was onto something. Like, I mean, some of the writing's rough, but like, maybe I can just, you know, repurpose oh, yeah. it. So yeah, I mean, there's always yeah. that. Well, that, that is you know? for sure. Because my first book, I had started it in 2011 when I was living in Japan and I had, okay. I planned out like the first few chapters we went from there. Uh, well then we moved and I, it wasn't until like a yeah. few years ago when um, I, I wanted to get back into writing. I opened it up and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, there's some of this that isn't going to work anymore, but some of this I think I can work with that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, a year or two later, I finally had my first book. Cool, cool. Man, moving really wreaks havoc <laughs> on writing life, doesn't <laughs> that it? Does. <laughs> that it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so then going forward, you had your uh, your next one in January this year, and and again, everybody, this is just his second book this year. There's lots of books out there for you to find. So second <laughs> one this year, we are the accused with another very thrilling cover on here. This is this looks really awesome. Yeah, I was happy. Yeah, with that cover. tell us about <laughs> about we are the accused. Yeah, so I um I wrote that uh, that actually took me um. A lot longer than um, you know, a lot of my stuff normally takes me. Um, it took me about, I would say, like a year and a half um, or a year and four months um, to to really uh, to really get it where I wanted it to be. Um, basically, I wanted it. I wanted to write something that was kind of my uh, ode to um, you know the uh, the sort of small town horror like Salem's Lot or Brian Keene's The Gather- Gathering of Crows or uh, Jonathan Mayberry's Ghost Road Blues. You know, something that's like kind of this like really um uh contained uh you know town that ends up coming to grips with like cosmic mm-hmm. evil and um yeah it's uh it's um an interesting book man because uh i uh i was kind of uh towards the end like i'll i'll be completely honest i was like legitimately losing my mind <laughs> and like i think it, it might show <laughs> um, <laughs> But but that said, I, I do think uh, some of the uh, some uh, some of the isolated passages uh, might be some of my best writing, and I think uh, the character, uh, the lead character, uh, Bianca Vitteo, she's a cop um, and an 
you know, this small town detective and also um, an Afghanistan war veteran. And she's one of my favorite characters that I've ever um, come up with. So I probably will use her again. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I definitely have a lot of, a lot of uh, emotions tied in yeah. with this book. Well, you know, and that, that like struck something on me because I, it's sometimes when we're writing and we get into a scene that like for me, I had a, I had a rape scene that I kind of glazed over when I first yeah. wrote it and my wife read it later on. She goes, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the guy still seems like a good guy. You're going to have to go back and, and yeah. go there. And, oh, I just felt icky <laughs> for, for days. No, I hear you, man. I, it can be, it can be hard. Like I was, um, there's a, there's a murder in the opening, um, in the opening scene of the book where this uh, mom just kind of like goes nuts and just slaughters her family. And, uh, and I basically was like heavily researching the um, the Chris Benoit murders. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was a wrestler who kind of like went nuts and killed his wife and kid. And so I was like, I was like really kind of like studying that closely when I wrote that scene. And so I, I don't know, it, it can just mess with oh, your yeah. head a little bit. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people look at the books and they're like, oh yeah, the author, they just they can come up with this stuff. But I mean, what what I think a lot of readers don't realize is yeah we're we're living this as as we're writing it yeah and yeah it can take oh, a toll sure. on you <laughs> definitely so how long you said this one uh, we are the accused took you about a year year and a half yeah something like that yeah yeah I, and um and and weirdly enough the uh the um i guess the first half uh took me most of that time like I was it was and and I think it's because there's so many characters I was like trying to kind of um make sure I got everything all the pieces in place for the big like kind of showdown at the end I, I guess okay yeah, yeah. How, how long do you usually take do you think for a, for a book oh gosh I mean it really depends I mean you know, I guess two of my, um, I guess, best received books, uh, you know, Gods of the Dark Web and Saint Sadist, they, they only took me like a month for the first draft. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe there's something to be said for just kind of like going in and just like getting out of your own way. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so those those didn't take long at all. Um, but uh, We Are the Accused took a while. Um, Mania didn't really take... I mean, it took a while to uh, edit and it took a while to plan, but the first draft was only about a few weeks. And then Flesh and Fire was, that took quite a while because there was, that was my first book. So there was like 10 drafts or something like that. So that was, that was a few years. Um, but I feel like everybody's first book takes that long. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's true. That's, I've, I've come to hear that a lot and it certainly makes me feel better. I, I mean, and hopefully listeners out there who, who are still working on that first book, you know, you're, you're hearing that from, from us and, and from, from Lucas right now. It's like, yeah, that first book takes some time. Yeah. It does. It does. I think, uh, I don't know if it was his first book, but I mean, you know, Bram Stoker took like 10 years to write Dracula and like, look how long that has oh, yeah. like withstood the test of time, you know? Oh <laughs> it's my just, gosh. Yeah. So there's something to be said for, uh, for those books that take a while, I think, especially if it's yeah, your first. Yeah, but I, I tell you what, though, but getting that first one done and putting it out there is such a weight off your shoulders. It really is. It really is. Um, it was. Uh, yeah, no, I um, when I finally had Flesh and Fire out there, I was I was really uh, I was really happy with it. It was um, it's uh, it's just one of those books that I think it has. Um, 
some interesting mythology and stuff going for it, uh, which is why I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I've got a sequel that I've been serializing on my, uh, on my blog, but yeah, yeah. Called blood and brimstone. Um, cause apparently I really like alliteration, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no flesh and fire was like kind of a, um, it was, uh, I mean, Brian Keane described it as supernatural with balls. So that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's kind of, uh, but I was, I took a, took a lot of inspiration from, uh, um, animals by John Skip and Craig Spector. And, um, and of course Clive Barker, I think, um, was a huge influence as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's awesome then. Yeah. Well, so and then mm-hmm. you started a, a podcast a while back, um, the man gun show, which yeah, thank goodness yeah. you, you said the name. Cause honestly, when I first started saying your name, my mind like takes out that G and switches it, and I kept thinking, like, man, uh-huh. I gotta check out this Magnum show. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Everybody does it, man. Don't feel bad. It is, uh, it is definitely um, something I've lived with my whole <laughs> life. But that's that's okay. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, at least it's like kind of a cool way to mess up my name, right? <laughs> there you <I> mean, go. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. cool. Well, I yeah, I was listening to uh, one of your recent episodes, the uh, or well, I guess it'd be your your most recent one on there, the Return of the Living Dead. Which, oh my gosh, that was a movie that tortured me for years. Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's a hell of a movie because it's it's funny as shit, but it's also really yeah. fucking bleak. Oh yeah, that was my <laughs> yeah. like prior to this movie, my introduction to zombies was uh, James Bond. And, and the voodoo guys oh, okay. down you know, in, the, in, in yeah, Jamaica yeah. or whatever it was. Uh, that, that was, <laughs> that was uh, zombies for me. So this was my introduction. And like, I'm just like, okay, finally, finally they're getting somewhere. They're finally, okay, they're going to be all right. Oh, wow. All those poor people, they bombed the place, but at least it's over. Oh my God, they came back. And it was just, it, that haunted me. Yeah. I mean, I, oh yeah, my gosh, same. that just, yeah, that did it for me. I, I went uh, probably 20 years before I watched that again. Yeah, zombie stuff can be, uh, I don't know. I think it, 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 there's, I mean, there's obviously, you know, um, exceptions. But I think uh, um, when it's done, uh, you know, in a certain way, it can be, I mean, when they really kind of uh, touch on those kind of underlying uh, ideas behind zombies and, and, you know, like this kind of, you know, persistence of death. And, and I think that can, you know, when they really touch on that in a, in a powerful way, which I think Return of the Living Dead did, um, you know, <laughs> nuclear bomb can't stop death. Right. Like, I think, you know, so I think that can be, you know, really disturbing, even if it's got this kind of, you know, uh, funny uh, 80s atmosphere <laughs> yeah. to it. Exactly. Well, so the the format of the show is really cool. So I like how you got authors coming together to talk about movies, you know, a specific movie or something like that. Uh-huh. What, that's a really cool idea. So, um, you know, I've always like um, had a lot of love for for um, both literature and cinema, and uh, I mean, even even growing up, I actually wanted to um, direct rather than um, than write books. But uh, I, I've always like thought it was interesting that you know. Um, there seems to be this gap between, you know, people who write books and people who write screenplays and, and, you know, like, even though like, you know, everybody watches movies and like, and it's still storytelling. So like, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of bridge the gap, you know, like it's like, okay, let's authors talk in movies. I mean, it's, I think it's an interesting, interesting concept. I mean, because it is like, it's, it is, they're both, um, you know, different ways of, of storytelling, but I mean, I, I guess the keyword there is difference because it's like, you know, they're, 
so we can, you know, it's these authors kind of uh, breaking down um, a completely different uh, approach to um, telling, telling well, a story. I, what yeah. I really like about it is it, it's really bridging that gap. It's like you said, you know, a lot of people like it's not really two different crowds anymore. People like writing and people like reading and people like movies. And, and, and sure. so many times we're all the same people. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I've got mm-hmm. a DVD collection that's approaching a thousand. And, you know, it's, nice. I, I love all my movies and I love writing my stories and talking to authors. And yeah, this is like, it, it's this awesome. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it like than what I just said, the bridging the gap. And it, it opens yeah, that window cool. to people who are maybe they're not they don't read as much um, they they're just interested in mm-hmm. pop culture or certain movies and so they're searching to say like, oh well you know what can I find online about uh, Night of the Living Dead oh hey here's this here's this thing you know a couple of different shows talking about yeah. it and now you've introduced people to not only some fun talk about the movie but also here's two authors who you know, have something to offer you that maybe they'll check out. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, I'm hoping that that's kind of uh, what, you know, ultimately happens is, you know, people um, will, you know, discover, you know, me and discover my guests. And also, you know, maybe people um, in the literary world who haven't um, seen these films um, would, would also discover these films that are that have been, you know, uh, incredibly important to me growing up, you know, and, and still mm-hmm. are, you know. Yeah. Now, uh, has there been yeah. anything... A movie in particular that you think has influenced your writing the most? Oh, wow. Um, you know, uh, I would say Hellraiser 1 and 2 are, are huge. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, Clive Barker in general, like his books and his, and his films, like just, uh, you know, uh, somebody, I've had multiple people tell me that they liked the, um, the homage to Clive Barker that I put in Saint Sadist, but I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, I don't, I, I, I like, I mean, he, his work is so ingrained in me. Like I, I must've like subconsciously. <laughs> did it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the Hellraiser movies. Yeah. But, the, but that, oh, no, sorry. that's, I mean, Go I was ahead. just going to say that's awesome that it's like you said, it's so ingrained in you that people are able to read your book and connect the dots themselves and see things that, that, even you mm-hmm. didn't quite put it together yourself until somebody else might have, uh, you know, is pointing it out. That's awesome. For sure. For sure. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a great segue too into your latest book, yeah. Saint Sadist with again, uh, an amazing cover. Oh my yeah. gosh. This George Catronis, <laughs> man. <laughs> wow. All right. So we're, we're going to hear a chapter from this book today. So what, what is the book about? Like what can we expect? All right, so it's about a girl who um, undergoes like uh, a lot of abuse from her father and um, ends up pregnant with his kid, and uh, that's kind of like the final straw for her. So she ends up um, hitting the road and uh, ends up falling in with this cult, and uh, things get real fucking weird from there. Oh man! All right, so and I like how it's just simple and to the point, and yep, this is what it is. Don't need to say anything else. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I kind of I, I like to let the the work speak for themselves. Like I like giving you know the elevator pitch, but uh, the other stuff I'm like, eh, let's let's let people read it. <laughs> well, it's it's a great hook, and you know it's 
already gets you feeling a lot of empathy for the uh, the main character. So it's I, I can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, you got the podcast. You got the uh, the website. Where where can people find and follow you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at real Lucas Mangum. Um, I've, my books are on um, Abound, uh, Barnes and Noble, and Amazon, and uh, of course uh, LucasMangum.com. I, I try to blog there somewhat regularly, um, and uh, and then of course I post um, exclusive content uh, on my Patreon page, uh, which is Patreon.com/slash/LMangumFiction. Uh, and I'll make sure to put some links for all that in the show notes. Lucas, thank you so much. This is this has really been awesome, and I I can't wait to hear about the book. I can't wait to dive into it myself. I mean, these are every time I look at another book, it's like they're just pulling me right in. So I can't wait to start diving into some of these books. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show, man. Well, hey, thanks for having me, and I appreciate the kind words as well. I um, I'd be curious to hear what you think. <laughs> I will. I, I I'm a huge believer in posting reviews whenever I read something, so I will definitely do that uh, after I get them uh, get them read. So I'll cool. start uh, trying to get through my to be read file as we as we speak. So <laughs> awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. I, it's time for me to step aside and hand the floor to my guest, Lucas Mangum, and his latest book. Saint Sadist. Okay, so this is the chapter. Um, it's uh, subtitled Armageddon. This is the way the world ends. Me in a beat-up van, rushing onward to a Canaan built on lies and pain, clutching daddy's gun, ready to give birth at any moment. This is Revelation, the final conflict, Armageddon. I don't know which part I'm playing, God incarnate, Antichrist, the false prophet, or the whore. Maybe it's none of those. Maybe this is my apocalypse. It doesn't belong to anyone else, divine or otherwise. It's only mine. I wonder what awaits me at the end. What will be my new heaven and new earth? How will I be reborn? What shall I name my son and who shall he resemble more? Daddy or me? Someone else entirely? The snakes surround him, and I don't know if they're protecting him or corrupting him, but there's nothing I can do now. Nothing but finish this. It's night again when I park the van in the same spot where I first saw it, where I first saw beautiful, doomed Marley. The volume of the engine keeps me tense long after I cut it. I'm sure someone has heard me. I creep along the perimeter, hoping to blend in among the cornfields. I keep the gun raised. The safety's off. I'll kill anyone who gets too close. There's no way of telling who means me harm anymore. Perhaps I'll think twice about shooting Nurse Danvers. She helped me escape, after all, but I'm not sure. Who knows what changes she's gone through since I've left. Is she even still here? Is she even still alive? This place has changed. Maybe it's the dark, but the crops don't look as healthy as before. Many stalks of corn and trees and vines stand with withered leaves and shrouded by spiderwebs and gypsy moths. Even the homestead compound looks less cared for. I wonder if it's now abandoned. When I'm sure no one heard me pull up, I make my approach. The entrance I intend to use has been left ajar, and it's not a trick of the light. The exterior of the structure is filthy. Some of the siding has come loose. The nearby window is broken. What strange luck for me to come all this way after all this time, only to find that Ambrose and his congregation had moved on. I enter what I'm almost certain now is an empty building. A hallway stretches before me, and I trek down its corridor. My footsteps are lonely sounds. In the darkness, it's difficult to see. 
The moonlight from outside only illuminates so much, and as I travel farther from the door, its power diminishes. I turn a corner into utter darkness and have to feel my way along the wall. I keep my ears perked up so I'm not snuck up on, even though I'm sure I'm alone. I turn more corners and kick open doors. I even consider calling out. The cafeteria is empty. All the rooms are empty. The homestead has become a tomb without corpses. It crosses my mind the premises may be haunted, but I don't feel the presence of anything, not even the subtlest hint someone is here with me, flesh or spirit. I leave the building perplexed and slump against the outer wall. I rest the gun between my knees and put my head down against its cool shaft. I contemplate turning the barrel on myself, but movement from the baby reminds me death isn't an option. My breath is slow, but shakes with the threat of panic. I look up and turn my head toward the tin roof chapel. My breath catches. I straighten. A muscle works in my jaw. There's a light in the window. It looks like fire. I rise to my feet and walk toward the chapel. I hold the gun at my side. The closer I get, the surer I am. A fire is burning inside, for real this time. The serpents tighten their embrace on my unborn child. Each step I take, my heart seems to double its beat. I reach the door and pull it open. The fire burns in the middle of the floor. The concrete is covered in dark stains. The slideshow plays on the now dirty and torn projection screen. The martyrdom of St. Philip, the martyrdom of St. Matthew, the crucifixion of St. Peter, death of Marat, beheading of John the Baptist. Salome must have really been able to shake her ass. I recognize all the works because I've sat through dozens of Ambrose's sermons. Martyrdom obsessed him, and he insisted it must be tied to the earth. Only then could one see the true face of God or Mother Gaia or whatever batshit crazy idea of a deity entered your mind. Me, I only saw myself, my pain. This is my story, my life, my body, my child. Goddess and gateway, prophetess whore, Courtney Ashland Burnett, just me. Sitting by the fire with his back to the screen, a man dressed in rags with dirty hair and a long beard clicks a remote, changing from slide to slide. His eyes are downcast, his mouth invisible through his beard. He rocks back and forth like a mental patient who's been given too much medication or too little. Though he has changed considerably, I know it's Brother Ambrose, Saint Sadist himself, broken by his own bullshit, the way most people end up in the end. I approach him, but keep the gun at my side. He lifts his face to view me. His eyes brighten. He smiles, revealing rotted and chipped teeth behind his overgrown facial hair. Courtney, he says, and laughs like he's been drinking and I showed up too late to the party to have any hope of catching up. Hello, Ambrose. Click. Slide. Sit, sit. He gestures across the fire. I obey, but not because I fear him or think I can benefit it anyway. I only want to know what happened. He laughs again. You came back. I don't speak. I merely lift the gun and wave it, but don't point it at him. You came to kill me? Lady, I've already died many times. Click. Another slide. Then again, don't we all? He laughs again. This time it's a cackle. I wonder if there's anything sane left inside him. I point the gun at him, right between his eyes. Blue eyes, now gray. If I killed you now, you'd die for real, I say. Any more real than the other times? I somehow doubt that. You've died too, many times. And you'll die again and again. That's all this is, you know. Another cackle. He plunges into a coughing fit. When it subsides... He clicks and the slides changes. You want to know the best part of this, Courtney? You think you're somehow less crazy than I am. He half laughs, half coughs. You think you know who you are and where you're going, but no one does. It's impossible. It's all patterns of chaos. What about Mother God, I say? 
Now when he laughs, he nearly tips over. He tries to right himself, and his beard dips into the fire. He coughs and drops the clicker. He slaps his beard, putting out the small flame. No one knows a goddamn thing, except... He looks up at me, eyes twinkling, the smell of burnt hair oppressive. Except I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come tonight. You always were full of shit, Ambrose. Not always, and not now. He gestures to the gun. I still have pointed at him. Now do you aim to use that thing on me or yourself? Choose wisely. I tighten my grip on the gun, put another hand on it to steady my aim. He laughs and laughs, tilting backwards and forward. You'll never avenge the horrible things you've endured. His voice changes, becomes my father's. I'll always be with you. He points to my swollen belly. You figure out a name for him yet? How about fuck you? The authority of my voice falters. I'm on the verge of tears. I think Emmanuel is already taken, he says. God is with us. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. He picks up the clicker, examines it, and throws it back to the ground. What's the use in anything? You want a useful idea? How about you and me, hand in hand, stand inside this here fire and see how long we can stand it? He's now speaking in my dad's voice, but he looks the same, a disheveled version of the man who claimed to be a prophet. I bet I can last longer than you. I've been in hell a long time. Hell is knowing you're a monster and being unable to stop it. You watch yourself sow destruction and hurt, and part of you likes it, and part of you loathes it, and you just want to die, but you'd rather kill. He's talking nonsense now. I should put him out of his misery. There you go again, he says, thinking I'm crazy and you're not. If that's true, why are you hearing Daddy's voice through my lips, huh? Thought I didn't know about that? I know a lot about you, Courtney. Remember that? Of course you do. You remember all sorts of things that never happened. Whether you're a prophetess whore or a goddess or avenging angel, you've always been completely crazy. Can't say I blame you, though. You've been through a lot, and you've managed to survive. Death itself, even. Gonna knock a few screws loose, I reckon. I don't know why, but shooting him now seems wrong, somehow. I shut my eyes and try to concentrate on what I'm not sure. Nothing makes sense right now, and for a frightening moment, I forget where I am. Why am I holding a gun? Why am I pregnant? Alive? Who am I? I open my eyes and see the mad prophet teetering back and forth as he laughs, his voice changing from his to my father's with every syllable. I keep the gun pointed at him, both hands trembling now. He stops moving and grins like I'm going to snap a picture, then resumes laughing and rocking. Everything is risen in volume, even the crackle of burning kindling is oppressive. I'm slipping into something terrible, some sort of fugue. Only two things keep me here, the weight of the gun and the weight of the baby. I try to focus on these things and will everything else to be quiet. Ambrose reaches across the fire, igniting his sleeve. His fingers grasp for my hands. I scoot backwards and make my way to the, my feet. He starts that damned laughing again, even as his entire arm is engulfed. He watches the blaze grow and laughs harder. Not knowing what else to do, I squeeze the trigger again and again and again until it clicks dry. Everything falls silent but the crackle of the fire, which has returned to a normal volume. Ambrose's head, save for his bottom jaw and tongue, is completely destroyed. Pieces of it are scattered everywhere. I let the weapon and breathe. I shake from the adrenaline. My water breaks. That was Lucas Mangum reading a sample chapter from his latest book, Saint Sadist. Oh my gosh, what an intense chapter. I mean, holy cow. 
you know, this is like one of those books that's a little outside my realm of what I would normally read, but he's got me hooked. I'm picking up a copy right now. I think you need to do the same, so make sure you follow the links in the show notes so you can follow Lucas. Also, don't forget to click the links for our friends and sponsors and hit that subscribe button so next week you don't miss out when we come back with a new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter. Thanks again, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week.